In Psalms 122.1, David said, let us, I was glad when they said, let us go up unto the house of the Lord. And certainly that should be our sentiments today, that we should consider it a privilege to be here. It's not a task, it's not a duty. I mean, it is a duty but that we assemble, but it's not a task, and it should be something that we look forward to. Uh, I was hoping Brother Dennis would be here. I'm sorry that, you know, that they have sickness in the family, but I wanted to prove to him that I could get him out of here in less than an hour, you know. <laughs> when I came in the door, one person said, uh-oh, I forgot to bring my lunch with me. And then another one said, uh, well, I brought my lunch with me. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm not going to keep you here that long. Uh, you know, uh, in 2 Timothy uh, 2 and 15, he said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling aright the word of God. And we certainly want to rightly divide God's word. We don't want to add to, we don't want to take from. We don't want to substitute our opinion for it. I'm reminded of a little story that I read in a magazine not long ago. A little boy uh, was in a Bible study class, you know, like we have back here, and the teacher said, uh, well, what story, he was about seven or eight years old, said, what, what stories in the Bible do you like? Do you like the one about uh, David and Goliath? Uh, you know, uh, or uh, maybe Daniel in the lion's den? And he said, uh, no, he said, you know, I kind of like the one about the multitude that loafed and fished. <laughs> so so <laughs> that wasn't a real right, uh, he wasn't rightly divided, it, was he? But anyway... Somebody said, well, what kind of preacher are you? And I said, well, you know, I, I don't claim to be a preacher. You'll know that when, we, when I'm finished. But uh, anyway, when I preach, it's, it's as if I had a degree from Sears and Roebuck and I was six months behind on the payment, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I think any time that we ought to be able to say something from the Word of God that would be beneficial to each and every one of us. And in this day and time, there's so much division in the world and so much chaos and so much uh, conquest and, you know, and killings and murder and wars and, and seem like people, everybody is doing their own thing, you know. And if there's ever a time that we need to be united or, or uh, uh, united together and, you know, and, and in the unity of the Spirit, it's, it's today. Uh, in John 17, 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then John 8, 32 says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 16, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration to God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto Every good work. Paul said in, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he said, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for he's a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then in Psalms 133 and verse 1, this is really a good verse of scripture. He says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now what's he saying there? It's good. That's a double blessing. 
it's first of all it's good and then it's pleasant for us to dwell together in unity to have the same uh, thing in mind you know as we'll get on into a little bit later on there's difference in being <clears throat> united and unity if you've ever thought about it you know just because you're united in an effort people can unite in a certain effort but they don't have anything in common you know there's no unity there Someone illustrated it this way. They said if you took two cats and tied their tails together and threw them over the clothesline, well, they would be united. But they certainly wouldn't be any unity there, would they? <laughs> uh, so we want, we're interested in unity. You know, a lot of times the things that are good for us are not very pleasant for us, we think, you know. Uh, I recall, you know, when growing up, you know, your dad would, get that razor strap down, you know, and he's going to teach you a lesson. <laughs> and uh, he'd say, well, you know, uh, this is going to hurt me worse than it is you. But I never did believe that because <laughs> I'd been there before, you know. So a lot of times things that are good for us, though, in, in the end it was good for us because it told us to, taught us how to behave, you know, and that, that he was the, the authority. Uh, one thing I'm thinking of and along that line is surgery. You know, sometimes we have to have surgery, and we're blessed in a nation that's got a lot of m medical knowledge and so forth. Even though it costs so much, you can't afford it hardly. <laughs> but anyway, in surgery, you know, you have to go through all these tests and uh, uh, all of those needles and things, you know, and I hate a needle. I hate to be stuck with a needle. But sometimes we have to do that, although it's not pleasant. The outcome of it is is good. See, it can it can uh, correct the medical problem we have. Then also another thing that is along that same line that's that uh, is good for a person, but uh, it's not very pleasant for us is reproving a brother in sin. You know, uh, 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 in Second uh, uh, Timothy four. Where, he, where Paul was talking to Timothy there, you know, and he said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not near sound doctrine, but after their own lust heaped to themselves teachers having itch and ears and so on. And it goes on down through there, as you know, probably the rest of it. But reproving a brother in sin is a hard thing to do, you know. We like to be taught, told, you know, how good we are and what good things we've done. But no, most people don't like to hear their faults, you know. And uh, that's just a, a part of human nature, I reckon. But in James verse 5 and uh, uh, 20, chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, Let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall hide or save a soul rather first of all from death and shall hide a multitude of sins so if you talk to a brother even though that's unpleasant and he may not like it when you're ta telling him about what he needs to do to correct his life but in the end you, you might save that brother's soul from eternal damnation and that's the idea of the whole thing admitting you know also admitting we're wrong can be painful we don't like to admit that we're wrong. It takes a big person, you know, to say, hey, I was wrong, and I want you to, f to forgive me. You know, I want to apologize to you. That's a hard thing to do. But admitting we're wrong can be painful. But James says in James 5 and verse 16, 
He says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so, uh, sin, you might say, then is pleasant, you know. Sin is pleasant for a season. You know, if sin wasn't pleasant, there wouldn't be so many people to commit, it, would they? But uh, I'm, I'm reminded of some people, you know, that drink alcohol. When they're drinking the alcohol, they, they think they're really living it up. They're having a big time. But I'm told that the next morning that they have a hangover that won't quit. I couldn't say because I've never been there. Thank God for that. The person that takes dope, you know, when he's taking the dope and, and getting high, well, he thinks he's, uh, it's pleasant to him. And then anything else that you, that you can mention along that line might be, might be a pleasure for a while, but it soon leaves, doesn't it? The, the pleasure of it soon leaves. In Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, it says, By faith when Moses was come to years, he re refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So it must be pleasant, see. Unity is to be pursued with all diligence. We need to get along together. It's just that simple. We're not competing against each other. We're all wanting to accomplish the same thing, the same goal. We want to go to the same place. We want that eternal reward that Peter talked about, you know. In Ephesians 4, he says here that we're I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you're called, with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. But then verse 3, look at it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's the key to it right there. He says, for there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called, one hope you're calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, above y'all, through y'all, and in y'all. So there's a lot of you-alls there. You know, somebody said that the Lord must have been a southerner because he used all those you-alls. But I don't know about that. But uh, anyway, if there's any chapter in the Bible that teaches unity, it would be the fourth chapter of, of Ephesians, that we're to be united in everything. So how many people then are guilty of sowing discord among the brethren? There's a lot of them, aren't they? You've been to places where they just couldn't get along you know, it's easy to sow discord. You don't have to have any special qualifications. You don't have to have very much intelligence uh, to sow discord among the brethren, you know. Uh, one of the uh, chief tools for sowing discord among the brethren is a lie. You know, and we know that, uh, or a, a perversion of the gospel. That's another way that we sow discord among the brethren. And we see all of these... Uh, these are televangelists and all that stuff and the people in the world, you know, are preaching this and that and the other and we've got 4,000 doctrines, you know, and, and Christ only died for one church, as we well know and can prove. And they pervert this gospel. They, they twist that gospel. They make it conform to the way they want it to speak, to what, it, what it, they want it to say. And certainly we can't do that because in Galatians 1, 6 and 7, Paul says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of, of Christ unto another gospel. 
And then verse 7, he says, which is not another gospel, but he said there would be some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And we know, we've known people like that. They would pervert the gospel of Christ. And certainly that would cause us to lose our soul. There's no doubt about that. You know, we can sow discord in different ways. Number one, we sow discord when we plant questions in our, somebody else's mind that arouses suspicion or, or doubt in that person's mind, which will lead them to a false conclusion. You know, we, we make a statement or something and, and uh, a hint about something that, that's really not the truth. So we, 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 pla we place this suspicion in their minds, you know, or this doubt. And then we sow discord when we make a depreciatory allusion to a person or an instance. And uh, then also, or if we make a insinuation, you know, a lot of people will uh, lie by insinuation. You've heard people do that. They don't come right out and say it specifically, now this is the way it is, you know, but they insinuate that it's a certain way, and when in reality it's a different way. So that's a lie by insinuation, see. And we're sowing discord when we do that. John says in Revelation 21, 27, he says, Whosoever maketh a lie shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's pretty plain, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of discord, uh, discord sown by heresy. You know, well, I heard so-and-so said this, right? You know, repeating stuff like that. There's a lot of discord sown by heresy. Those that use this heresy or pass it on, they know that it's not true when they say it, you know. But they just got to have something to say. Those that repeat this heresy are guilty of tail-bearing. And we know that that's a sin. In Ephesians 4, 25, he says, Wherefore put, a, put away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor. He says, For we are members one of another. In Psalms 26 and verse 20, the psalmist said, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Now that's a real statement, isn't it? So where there is no tail barring, the strife ceases. In other words, if you, 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 those of you that have lived back in the time when we used to heat with firewood and, and cook with stove wood and so forth, and you, you have to get up sometime during the night and put a stick of wood in the old stove, you know, or sometimes you would forget to do that, and the next morning you go in and the fire's out. So there ain't no truer statement. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Where there's no tail bearing, the strife ceases. And uh, so when uh, uh, he that uh, soweth uh, this discord, of course, is, this is not uh, uh, right with God, and God hates, the, hates that. He, when the he that soweth discord is going to incur the wrath of God because we can prove that by going to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And he says, There are six things that the Lord God doth hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. And he says there in verse seven, uh, 17, A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, Verse 18 says, A heart that deviseth wicked imagination, feet that are swift to run to mischief. And then he that speaketh lies, verse 19 says, A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. 
you know, I, if, if there's degrees of punishment, it's going to be hard for a person that will sow discord among the brethren and try to create a disturbance or division among anybody. And we're to be like a big family, you know. We, we, we're to love one another, as he tells us, you know. So in order for us to walk then in unity, there has to be a distinction made between uh, opinion and faith. You know, opinion is just like our, our face. Everybody has one, you know. Everybody has an opinion. But we can't bind that opinion upon our brother, brethren as gospel or as the law of God, you know. Uh, faith is different. Faith is a firm conviction resting upon a clear and satisfactory testimony. Faith is a, a clear and firm conviction resting on a clear and satisfactory testimony. And of course the Bible does just exactly that. We know that it uh, is absolute, that truth is absolute. Now faith, uh, how, do we, how does it come? You know, Romans 10, 17 says, So then that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In Hebrews 11 and 1, he says that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now we know that there's, that we haven't seen Christ. We know He's there though. We haven't seen God. We know He, he exists. We know He created everything. But we haven't seen heaven. But we, through faith's eye, we can try to visualize it. But we know it's there. That's faith. And, uh, in uh, Hebrews, let's see, I believe 11.6, it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that uh, diligently uh, seek after him. So we could conclude then that where God is not spoken, there can be no faith. If faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, so where God hadn't spoken, there's no faith there, see. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, he says, For we all walk by faith and not by sight. That's a, a true statement. We all walk by faith and not by sight. This distinction between faith and opinion uh, should be kept clear for us because... In Romans 14 and 23, he says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It's just that simple. Oh, now we might say a word or two about opinion. Opinion is, a, is a, an expression based on human judgment. You know, it's what a person thinks. Human judgment, but it's without a clear testimony. It might be right, it might not be right. Uh, opinion will separate man from God and it will cause division among his people when we substitute opinion for faith we rebel against God in a sense when we use our opinion instead of God's word as the law to go by the rule to go by Christians can't work in harmony with each other we can't have no unity with two different rules of action can we We've all got to be going in the same direction. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, 
Or he says you will, you'll hold one and despise the other. Then he goes ahead to say that you cannot serve God and mammon. So there's no straddling the fence, you know. We can't serve God and then mammon on the other hand. No unity between those that walk by faith and those that walk by opinion. So we need to walk by faith and not by sight and not by opinion. And we need to let the Bible be our guide that will lead us from earth to heaven as we're taught in the old Bible. Uh, I don't know where I told you the story about uh, the husband and wife riding down the road in the wagon one time, and, and I might have, but it would bear repeating, I guess. And, and their mules is going along, they're sitting in the spring seat riding in the wagon, and she, she looks over at him and says, Honey, says, why can't we be united like that team of mules and pull together like that team of mules? And he says, Well, we could if there was just one tongue between us. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's true. You know, we've got we've to have the same object in mind. And we're to walk by the same rule in Romans 15, 5 and 6. In verse 5, he says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded toward each other, see, toward another according to Christ Jesus. We're to be like-minded, to think this, uh, uh, the same way a lot. In Romans 15 and verse 6, here's the reason. He says that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By one mind and one mouth, glorify God. In 1 Corinthians, uh, as Brother John read for us there, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, he says, I beseech you therefore through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that, there, that ye all speak the same thing, there be no division among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in, in one mind and in the same judgment. That sounds like unity to me, don't it to you? You know, uh, we're not to murmur about everything. Sometimes we can cause the, our elders a, a lot of grief, you know. And the eldership's a hard job, and they, and they, they walk a tightrope. And we, we're not to murmur about things and, and cause them to be... They should be able to give a, a account of us with joy, the Scripture says. You know, we should live in a way that their job will be made easier. That's what he's saying. Now, there's a story, uh, I'm going to tell you one more here. And then, uh, <laughs> there's a story about this, this group of men was having a business meeting. And uh, there was a few ladies sitting in the back row back there. It could have been men too, you know, but we'll just say it was ladies. And uh, they were discussing whether or not to buy a new chandelier for the, for the church building. What nice chandelier light, you know. And they said something about buying a chandelier, and this one lady raised up in the back, and she said, why, there ain't no use in buying a chandelier. Said, if we had one, I, we ain't got nobody that can play it. <laughs> she was really deep in the scripture, wasn't she? In Philippians 2.14, he tells us, he says, do all things without disputing and without murmuring. Now, isn't that, isn't that the right attitude to have? Don't gripe about something. You've seen people when you ask them to do something, they, well, you know, hum all around. They finally agree, well, we'll do it, you know, but they act like they're doing you a great big favor, you know, and they murmur and complain about it. And we're, we're to do all things without that sort of thing. In Philippians 2, 
2 and 3, he says, Fulfill my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Now that's hard to do, isn't it? You know, we're taught to love one another, but we, we, we kind of love ourselves pretty good too, don't we? But he says that we're to esteem others better than ourselves. Uh, we can't be selfish, in other words. In Romans 12, uh, one, through and, uh, 1 through 3 there, he's talking about uh, be not conformed to this world, you know. He said... Uh, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he said in verse 3, For I say unto you, the grace that is among me, uh, unto you, that to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So we should not think of ourselves too highly. We, Brother Jeff had a good lesson on the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees this morning. And the Pharisees was a group of people that did that very thing. They thought of themselves too highly. They were a self-righteous, hypocritical group of people that wanted everybody else to dance to their tune. That's just putting it bluntly. But we, we should think about their welfare and be concerned with other people and their welfare also as well as our own. I know we have to have a certain amount of pride in our own self and take care of ourselves too. And in this world today, uh, you know, most people will let you take care of yourself. But in Second uh, Corinthians 13 and 11, Paul says, You're finally, brethren, farewell. He's fixing to leave. So he said, be, perfect, be perfected, be completed, in other words. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Uh, live in peace. And he said, And the God of peace shall be with you. If we will do that, that sort of thing, the God of peace shall be with us. You know, each congregation of the Lord's people is autonomous. It, uh, we, we don't uh, go to a, another congregation, and our leaders don't go to another congregation and tell them what they should do in their services and what order they ought to conduct their services and all that. But now you know as well as I do that we've had some congregations that uh, considered themselves to be the uh, Brotherhood's watchdog, you know. You, they, uh, if you didn't do things their way, it wasn't right, you know. Uh, and need I say any more. But we can't introduce our own opinion and, and impose our own opinion and our own judgments on the people of God and still have unity. And unity is what we're wanting to have. Uh, some, as I said, have tried to interfere and they cause a disturbance and so forth. And this sets the cause of Christ back a great deal, you know. We lose ground when we do stuff like that. Unity will not just happen accidentally. There has to be a price paid for it. And it has to be made with a real concentrated effort uh, to, if we're going to have unity among each other. If we're truly united and we use our efforts and our energy in a constructive manner, then we're not going to have time for this murmuring, this disputing, this tail-bearing, uh, this rebellion against the eldership, 
You know, some people just don't like to be told what to do, even though it's right. Uh, then we won't have time for hearsays, the starting of rumors and so forth. We won't have time for gossip. And I'm reminded of 1 Timothy 5.13. He says, And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle but tattlers. And he says, uh, And busy bodies speaking things which they ought not to speak. So if we, uh, we don't have time for that sort of thing. You know, there's a, there's a, a saying that uh, goes around after 9-11, uh, they made some license plates. I have one on my truck. It says, United we stand. And that's true. And it's the same thing in the church. United we stand. If we all speak the same thing, be of the same mind, and the same judgment, we can accomplish a great deal you recall we were studying on Wednesday night about uh, the Tower of Babel. Or was that Sunday morning? I guess that was Sunday morning. We are studying Acts on Wednesday night. But about the Tower of Babel. And uh, God saw that they, could, they, were, they were intent on building a tower all the way into the heavens. And he saw that nothing would be kept back from them. So he went down and he confounded their language to where they couldn't understand each other. And thus... They couldn't accomplish what they had set out to do. But if we, if we stand together, united we stand, divided we fall. You've heard that statement before. In Galatians 5 and 15, But if you be, bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Now that's a true statement. That's a scriptural statement. We can't be guilty of that sort of thing. Uh, you remember, remember in Acts, the 8th chapter, there Peter, along uh, about 22, Peter, uh, Peter and Simon the sorcerer. And Simon desired to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money. And Peter told him, he said, Thy money perisheth with thee. He said, Thou hast neither partner lot in the matter. He said, Repent, you know. And uh, perhaps that the thoughts of thine heart might be forgiven thee. And then Simon uh, the sorcerer, he did repent, and he asked Peter to pray for him that none of these things which you said will come to pass will happen to me. So uh, we need to be careful that we don't bite and devour one another, and that we have the right object. I think two main things is is attitude is one thing that we've got to have the right attitude toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then the other would be motive. We have to have the right motive, the reason that we do something. That's our motive. We're told that we're to love one another with a pure heart fervently. And then John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Isn't that great? He tells us in Leviticus 19 and 18 to love our neighbors. You know, other places said, love thy neighbor as thyself, you know. We're to love our enemies, Matthew 5 and verse 44. We're to do good unto them that persecute us and pray for them that despitefully use us and say all manner of evil against us falsely for his name's sake, he says. 1 Peter 2 and 17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now that's good advice right there, isn't it? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, 
Fear God and honor the king. That's our main objective, isn't it? Friends, are you a Christian? Are you a member of God's family? Have you been baptized into Christ? You know, if we've not completed our obedience to Christ, we need to think about that. Because this world is going to pass away. And all of the things that's in it with using. Uh, in Second Peter 3, in verse 9, 10, 11, you know, he said there, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. For he says, The day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a loud noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Seeing that these things shall be encompassed, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Holy conversation means our manner of life, our way of life. Maybe you've done that, and maybe you just need to take advantage of the second law of pardon that Christ offers. You know, we're fortunate in that if we, we sin, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We're all guilty of sinning, but thank be to God that we have that second law of pardon, whereby we can come to Him and we can have the prayers of the church and of our brethren and we can ask God to forgive us and He will wipe our slate clean. And then we can start on a new track from there on out. You know the plan of salvation as well as I do, that you have to hear it. Romans 10, 17, we've done mentioned that twice. We need to believe it, John 8, 24, except you believe it, I am He, you shall die in your sins. We need to repent of those sins in Luke 13, 3 and 13, 5. He says, I tell you nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We need to confess Christ. In Romans 10, 10, 10, He says, with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then, of course, that last cultivating act, and it's more said about it perhaps than all these others maybe, is baptism. And people like to work that right out of the plan. You know, they say it's non-essential. But if it's, if it's non-essential, why does Acts 2.38 say, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you should receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Or why did Ananias tell Paul in, uh, in Acts 22.16, Why tarest thou in Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Or why did Paul say in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, You're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then on Paul uh, writing again in Romans 6, you know there, 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? And grace may abound. God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not as many as us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried by baptism with Him uh, into Christ that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should also rise to walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together with Him in the likeness of His death, we shall be like uh, like him also in the likeness of his resurrection also, it tells us. We need to consider these things because heaven and earth is going to pass away and the word of God is going to abide forever. And uh, we're created in the image of God and th that means that we have a mentality and that we have an eternal soul. And it's going to have to spend 
eternity, one place or the other. So think about those things, and if you need to, uh, to uh, complete an obedience into Christ or, or if you need to rededicate your life, well, the opportunity is yours while we stand and sing.